Hello, everyone, and welcome to Full Time, where we take you around the world of soccer locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally. Full Time is presented by the Game Sports Podcast and powered by 91N. You're listening to Season 4, Episode 8 of Full Time. I am your host, Daniel Scarpino, with me is our co-host, Gaetano Gallo. Before we begin today's show, Full Time is sponsored by Little Caesars Pizza. With their two locations in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, you can download and access the Pizza Portal app so you can enjoy a delicious hot and ready pizza from Little Caesars today. Remind our listeners that recordings of Full Time occur weekly or bi-weekly, and uploads to all of our platforms for public viewing and listening occur weekly or bi-weekly as well. Happy New Year, everyone. We welcome you back to Full Time. For our first show of the 2024 calendar year. Gee, we are here today for have our, uh, to have our first show of the new year. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. Scarps, how are you doing? I'm doing really well, man. Thank you for that. And uh, in today's show, we'll be talking about some news in the MLS. We'll preview the January transfer window. We'll talk Europe's Big Five. And we'll highlight some key points across England's domestic cup competitions. As always, if anyone would like to listen to our previous content, please check us out at Full Time on the Game Sports Podcast and 91N. And without further ado, Gaetano, and to everyone who has taken the time to tune in here today, let's kick off. We begin today's show by talking about the MLS and more specifically, a big move that has taken place in the MLS. The biggest of deals comes through as it has been announced that striker Luis Suarez is joining Inter Miami for the upcoming season. The 37-year-old joins previous teammates Lionel Messi, Sergio Busquets, and Jordi Alba from their Barcelona days. Suarez has agreed to a one-year deal with Inter Miami with the option to a further year. G Inter Miami are getting better and better, uh, but what we have to recognize is that the league itself is also getting better and better. So G, just give us your thoughts on this move and, and what it means not only for Inter Miami, but for uh, the MLS in general. Well, first of all, I think Luis Suarez is just going to terrorize MLS defenses. Like he, at his peak, was just like head and shoulders above just about every other striker on the planet. Um, and he really, like, he hasn't fallen off that much. He's just he's lost a bit of pace, got a little older, a little slower. But like his instincts, like that poacher in the box, like you don't lose that with age. And I think um, MLS is in for a terrible time uh, with him. Um, but yeah, like this is a huge, like you've you've reunited two thirds of MSN, you know, you have four ex-Barcelona players who are still like very good players. Um, I, it's, it's insane for the league. It, it really is. And you got to give credit to David Beckham, some of the business <laughs> doing out there, unbelievable. But, uh, you know, we talked about this and I was actually watching, um, it was uh, one of the overlap podcasts uh, with Gary Neville, Roy Keane, Jamie Carragher, and Beckham was on it too. And he was saying that for Lionel Messi, when he came to the team, how much like the way that he sees the game, everything just slows down from in the MLS because we have to be honest that this, the competition is inferior to the likes of Europe. So I think for Luis Suarez, even though, and I agree with you, he has lost some pace. He's got a little bit older. Maybe he's not in the same physical condition that he once was. The game's going to slow down from he's going to score so many goals. And for the league, it's going to be an absolute nightmare, isn't it? Like you just put him in, put him in the eighteen-yard box, and just let him stand there for ninety minutes, and he will score you goals. Like that's that's as simple as it is. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think that Inter Miami are going to absolutely tear up the league this upcoming year. Obviously, we're going to be doing our uh, upcoming 
uh, predictions in a couple of months' time for the MLS, but uh, Miami's got to be at the top of almost everybody's list, and for good reason. And in keeping with the MLS, another big transfer has taken place, and it's longtime Tottenham goalkeeper Hugo Lloris, who has joined LAFC on a permanent transfer. Gee, the 37-year-old will give LAFC another piece to the puzzle on uh, their route to what will hopefully be con- continued success. Uh, give us your thoughts on this one. I think this is low-key a really good move for them. Um, it wasn't long ago that he was captaining France to a World Cup, uh, you know, European Championship semifinals and finals. Like, he's still a, a great goalkeeper. He's not Premier League quality anymore, but, you know, that happens. He, he's kind of aged out of that, but he can definitely still be a, a solid keeper uh, in L.A. And even if his performances on the field aren't, you know, the best, just having uh, someone like that with that experience in your locker room is just invaluable. Well, and that's exactly it, at least in my opinion, too. You have somebody who has experience, who's done it. Uh, He's been to a Champions League final. Like you said, he's done it internationally for France. And, you know, he's got captain experience. He's going to be a great leader uh, for that team. And and he's going to really show the way. Apparently, his training habits are outstanding. He's a total professional. And uh, all of his coaches speak incredibly high of him. So I think for LAFC, this is a good move. And uh, I think it definitely bolsters their chance to be incredibly competitive once again this season. Moving along, it is January, which does mean a multitude of things. A new calendar year, colder weather with some more snow incoming, as uh, we saw here uh, the past couple of days. Uh, And for all of us in Canada, I think we can definitely expect a little bit more. And it also means that sports for the next several months are going to be absolutely awesome. But even more than that, from a soccer perspective, it means that we enter into the January transfer window where clubs will have the ability to buy sell and loan players as they deem fit gee the summer transfer window was incredible which we covered in complete detail here on full time the last january transfer window was amazing and we were even uh, into that one more than we were the summer uh transfer window on our show but the big question that everybody has is what can we anticipate from this january transfer window chaos again it's just you know it's you have you have 31 days uh to basically either, you know, put your title charge together, you know, keep yourself uh, in the top flight. Like, it's there's gonna, it's just going to be insane. Uh, you know, the rumors that we were already seeing are, like, ridiculous even for summer transfer, like, time. But, like, to have these rumors in January is just, like, stupid. And, yeah, it's going to just going to be great. Yeah, and uh, all the headlines that are being stolen, at least from what I see right now, is, are regarding Kylian Mbappe. So, uh, yeah. your main headline, you know that everything... <laughs> that comes after that's got to be like somewhat good it's going to be as you coined it uh, last year silly season and <laughs> of that one it sums it up absolutely perfectly so gee it's it's obviously incredibly early in the window we're only three days in uh so we don't really have too many moves to have to, for us to go through apart from the, the two that we just discussed with uh excuse me Luis Suarez and uh, Hugo Lloris So instead, what we've opted for here on full time is to go through some questions regarding the transfer window, uh, which will be really busy over the next 25 days or so. So the first question here, G, which five clubs need to do serious business this transfer window? So for me, I've went kind of I picked a couple around Europe. Um, My first two are kind of bunched together. It's uh, Hirona and uh, Bayer Leverkusen. I think they need to just bolster these title charges. I'm not familiar enough with either of their squads to tell you exactly what they need, but um, you can never go wrong with more goals in your squad or, you know, a better defender to, you know, concede less goals. I think that would be great for either of those two. I think Arsenal could probably uh, 
use some firepower uh, if they're going to mount a title charge here, uh, especially also competing in Europe. Probably want to add a little bit there. Um, it's going to be like kind of a, a weird one, but like I think PSG probably needs to. Maybe not they need to, but they're just going to. You just know they are. <laughs> um, and like the, that team is still kind of molding, still taking shape. So I think, you know, if the right player, like rumor is they're looking at Calvin Phillips, like I don't think that's a terrible move for them. Someone to just like the way uh, Tiago Mata and like Marco Verratti kind of just did the dirty work for PSG for, for a long time, kind of out of the spotlight. I think Calvin Phillips could fit that mold for them perfectly. Uh, and then my last one is uh, back to Germany for uh, Grisha Dortmund. I think they're just kind of on the outskirts. I think they could still use just a little bit more. And they could, like we've said, uh, this title race is pretty wide open. I think they could probably, if they add the right piece, like make a good push. Gia, that was uh, so well summarized. And I think that all of your picks there are uh, are fantastic. And I, I've got two of the same uh, picks that you do, and I've got three different ones. So for my first one, and, and this is in no particular order, really, you can kind of shuffle it around in any which direction you want. But I also went with Dortmund. Uh, their goal difference isn't particularly great, to your point. They need to focus on top four, particularly if the uh, Champions League doesn't go to plan. And uh, they do need investments up front and at the back with uh, those two positions in the squad uh, lacking in, a, in in some regard, really. Second, I've gone for Sevilla. And the reason that I've gone for Sevilla is because, believe it or not, they're actually flirting with relegation. And, uh, the, you know, for both me and you, we really didn't see that coming. And they've already been bounced from European competition. They have no chance to get into the Europa League this year, which we've been accustomed year after year after year to <laughs> so well there. Um, and I didn't know this either, but they're actually on their third manager this season. And you can't... Yeah, you can't keep changing the manager. We're going to talk a little bit about being at the halfway point in the season. You can't keep changing the manager and think that something drastically is going to change. Something's going to have to change within the squad. And I think it's time that they turn to the players in the market. Third, I agree uh, with Arsenal. That's my third one. They do need a fullback given the uh, injury to Urien Timber and because some of the, the other fullbacks aren't really cutting, uh, cutting the mustard, if you will. And they do need another striker up top if they want to mount a title charge and to, uh, to do well in Europe. Fourth, I've gone with Lyon in France. And because, believe it or not, those guys, too, they're, they're in a relegation scrap. They've conceded the third most goals in Ligue 1. And they do need assistance up top for former Arsenal man uh, Alexandre Lacazette. Um, because, again, good player. But can he really do it all on his own? No. And they do need to also sure up that back four so they're not leaking as many goals. And then finally, number five. I've actually gone for Napoli. And the reason why is because there have been so many talks of how, how much they want to improve their squad. So I think if you're going to talk that much, you better go on and do it. They're talking about signing one, a center back, two, a right back, and they want to sign two midfielders this window. Typically in January, I mean, you get one or two pieces, not four. So if they're saying that they want to get four pieces, I'm going to be keeping a close eye on them uh, to see what kind of business they do. Right now, they're in a top four battle. They're on the outside looking in, and uh, they'll want to push past Barcelona in the Champions League. So those are going to be my five, Gaetano. We're going to move on here. Second, which team will be saying by the time that the window is over, after January is all wrapped up, that they did the best business? And this is going to be like kind of a cop-out answer. I'll give you like a real answer, but I think City um, typically don't do business in January, or if they do, it's like they hit home runs, Americ Laporte you know, it was a, a recent one, you know, if they're going to do business in January, it's going to be great. And if they don't do business, then it'll be kind of business as usual, which is, you know, is better than bad business. Let's put it that way. I'd rather no business than bad business. 
but I think Arsenal are going to do the do the best. Uh, their transfer strategy for the last like 18 months has been phenomenal. Um, they've not made like panic moves. So I think if they're going to, you know, splash the cash, the rumor is Ivan Tony for, uh, you know, anywhere from 75 to 100 mil. Like if they do it, if they decide that's the play, I think that it'll end up being one of the best pieces of business. Yeah, I agree. And there, there is a lot of talk about Ivan Tony and uh, Solanke as well. And, uh, you know, all these sorts of things in the case of Arsenal, they will have to splash the cash. Ivan Tony hasn't played in quite some time. So you wonder if Arsenal did get him, what that would actually look like once he sort of puts on the Arsenal kit and straps up his boots. But in the case of Manchester City, it's interesting that you say them because the winner that I have, the, the, the team that I think is going to be saying at the end of the window, you know what, we've done it, is Newcastle. And the reason why I say that and where I kind of draw the parallel between them and City, those are the only two teams in the Premier League, believe it or not, that don't have a player going to the African Cup of Nations or the Asian Cup. So, you know, they're retaining pretty much all their squads, so they're going to have all the guys that they need there. But if City add in a few pieces, if Newcastle add in a few pieces, you could be looking at one, Manchester City gunning for the title, which, of course, you know they're already going to be uh, there or there just about. And then Newcastle not doing as well as they did last season, but we remember how good they did in the transfer window last January. I think that they can do it again. I do want to give an honorable mention as well to Aston Villa, simply because they're in the top four battle. And I think that the owners of that club are going to look at it. So, you know what? We've got a top manager here in Unai Emery. Let's give him a few more pieces, especially there's some rumors, not sure if it's true or not, that Ollie Watkins might be heading out in January. So if that is true, they're going to get a lot of money for that, but probably reinvest it very quickly. So I do want to give an honorable mention to Aston Villa, but I would say, uh, to your point, Manchester City, Arsenal, but also keep an eye out for Newcastle. Third, which team might we look at by the time the window is closed, Gaetano, and say that they missed out on their major targets? It's, it's kind of sticking to a theme that they had last uh, summer, but I think Liverpool. Uh, they lost out on a bunch of major targets uh, like last summer, and I think n- not that Todd Bowley's just only buying their targets, you know, as a joke, but it's kind of, you know, if a player's linked with one top club, they're probably linked with a couple of them. Uh, and I just, I, I just have a weird feeling that, like, if they get linked with someone, Chelsea's going to go in for them, offer that 10, 15 million more, and get that deal done. Yeah, it was, uh, it was almost comical last year when that kept happening time and time and time again, because basically last January, I mean, we talked about it so much on our show uh, the transfer window essentially belonged to Chelsea. And we were talking about at the end of the transfer window, who, hey, you know, who won this transfer window? It didn't matter whether we thought that the players that Chelsea brought in were good, bad, or indifferent. You had to say from a financial perspective, the amount of money that they spent, Chelsea won in some regard because they basically took all of Liverpool's targets. So you're going to go Liverpool. I think that's a great show. And I don't, for my pick, I'm not saying this to be condescending. I want to put that out there. I'm not trying to be you know, a bad person, whatever, but I actually think Tottenham is going to be the loser. (laughs) And the reason I say that is because, and I empathize with this totally because there've been years as coach, as a coach rather, where I've gone into seasons when I've had a really good team, injury happens, injury happens, illness happens, injury happens, and the list goes on and on. So I actually do empathize with Tottenham as much as I despise them. Their injury list is insane, like insane. So I do empathize, but there's really no, no discussions about them bringing any players in. They're talking about extending, I think, uh, Udagi's uh, deal or something like this. But what are you bringing in to help your squad at this moment in time? You need players. And if discussions don't start happening soon, 
My big thing is they're probably going to start talking about it towards the end of the window. By that time, it's going to be too late to sign players because they're going to go elsewhere. So I'm going to say Tottenham are going to be sort of losers of this uh, transfer window. I want to give an honorable mention as well, and you'll appreciate this, to Manchester United. <laughs> I is because, again, I do empathize. They're, they're hit with some big-time injuries as well. But I look at that squad, and I'm sorry. I actually talked about this with one of my teammates last night because we got back to playing locally. And uh, there's not a single leader in that squad. I, I just, I don't see it. I don't think Bruno Fernandez is a captain. Uh, and, you know, I think I actually like Scott McTominay and players like this, but are they really Manchester United quality? I don't know about that. So I think that they need to bring players in, but I have absolutely no confidence that they will. So I think that they get an honorable mention there. And fourth and finally, last question. How much money will be spent this transfer window? Just to preface everybody on this that's listening and watching our podcast, last season, a total of $1.57 billion was spent in the transfer window. An insane amount of money just goes to show that there's no sport quite like it on the planet. But, gee, how much money will be spent this transfer window? So unless Mbappe moves, which I, just, I don't see happening, I'm going to go just under. I'm going to say like $950, $975. But I don't think we'll hit a billion. Okay, so I've actually gone in a different direction. I've gone for slightly over. I'm going to say 1.64 billion, and the reason why I said that is because, uh, again, when we used, when I used to do the show with Scott, he always used to say off air, you know, make sure that you 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 reference the fact that you teach and all these sorts of things, and he would talk about his career. So I do teach for a living, and I am pretty obsessive when it comes to math and things like this. So I actually went across every major league <laughs> in the world, and I was playing with averages of all the teams in the top flight. And I averaged it out. And if the big moves happen like they're supposed to happen, among some other things kind of falling into place, I think that they'll just surpass the 1.57 billion mark. But again, it's down to chance. We're going to see what happens. But that's sort of my obsessive nature. G. Regardless, we can agree, it's going to be a lot of money spent this January. There. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's just like an insane amount to think about, like every time. Like, like we're just like casually talking about like billions of dollars being spent. Yeah, like it's it's insane. I love it. Yeah, it's it's wild. And uh, I mean, money makes the world go around, but money makes the footballing world truly go around, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> our, yeah. A reminder that the January transfer window opened as of Monday, January 1st, 2024, and it will close on Thursday, February 1st at 6 p.m. Eastern time. And here on Full Time in each of our upcoming shows, we will highlight all of the major moves made in the transfer market so be sure to tune in to all of our upcoming episodes so you can stay up to speed with all of the things and all of the dealings in the world of football this is daniel scarpino and gaetano gallo and you are listening to full time on the game sports podcast a reminder that full time is sponsored by little caesar's pizza you can download and access the pizza portal app for any of the two locations in sault st marie ontario have a delicious hot and ready pizza from little caesar's today on we go, folks, and we will now get ready to talk Europe's Big Five. Catano, this officially marks the halfway point in the season for all of Europe's Big Five, which I always find to be incredible whenever we, we say that, purely because that means that we are slowly getting into the business side or the business end of the season where things are really going to start happening after January sort of concludes. Gee, how happy uh, have you been personally with uh, Europe's Big Five now that we are officially at the uh, the halfway mark this season? I mean, like, even like the, the seasons could be terrible and I'm still going to be excited and happy with it because I, you know, love the sport, love watching it. So like 
the fact that we get like these super high quality title races these like phenomenal sides all across europe like just like more than you could ever ask for it, it truly is and it just seems like year after year we keep talking about it, it just gets better and better and better and we love to see it so gee we did our preseason preview back on august 8th 2023 in the summer where not only did we predict our winners for each of europe's top divisions but what each league would actually look like from a competitiveness point of view and what we're going to do now is we're going to do a little bit of revision. We're going to go and revisit those discussions briefly just to see where things currently stand in relation to those predictions in all of Europe's big five. So we'll get the ball rolling by looking at the English Premier League. And, gee, before the season kicked off, you said that the top four would be in this order. Number one, Manchester City. Two, Arsenal. Three, Newcastle. And four, Liverpool. I said that the top four would be one. Arsenal, two Manchester City, three Liverpool, and four Manchester United. Now, when we look at the actual standings as of today, we've got Liverpool, who are at the top, Aston Villa, who are in second, Manchester City in third, and Arsenal in fourth. So, gee, we, we really aren't totally off with our predictions, you know, just barring one anyways. Uh, but a fun surprise there with Aston Villa uh, being in this year's top four conversation and, and title challenge conversation. So your thoughts on the Premier League title challenge at the halfway stage, sir? Yeah, um, it's funny that we both kind of had one, like a different team in that one spot. Uh, you going for kind of the more, well, I, I don't want to call them established anymore because they haven't been established in about a decade, but United. Um, and like myself going with the, you know, the, the hot shots, Newcastle. But it's Aston Villa uh, surprising us all. They're just... I'm like, I'm running out of words with them, Scarps. They're just so stupidly good. Like, uh, you know, I just, I, I don't, I feel bad because like in any other league, they would probably be like, not runaway champions, but like well ahead. Uh, yeah. But they just happen to play in the most competitive league in the world against, you know, competing against three of the biggest and best teams in, in the whole world in Liverpool City and Arsenal. It's just been, it's been wild. And like the fact that, you know, fifth place Tottenham they're only one point back you know you look Brighton only a couple points back from them like even Newcastle and United aren't like too far out of the uh like the top four race it's just uh, it's just insane oh it really is and I mean you even got to start looking at the likes of West Ham now are they going to be making a bigger push than they already have and that's kind of why I gave in my um the team that we might look at and say that they did good business in January. That's why I kind of give Aston Villa a show because I really do believe that the owners will look at it and say, you know what, we might as well go for it. We're right there. It's not like we're, you know, just trying to get into the top four. This is a proper title challenge at this point. Once you get into the second half of the season, if you're in the top four, if you're within striking distance of, uh, you know, position number one, you are there. So yeah, Aston Villa has been doing brilliant this season. And uh, I love this, uh, this title challenge of what's it's, it is really what makes the Premier League the best league in the world and what we're going to do now is we're going to take a look at the bottom of the table and in our predictions before the Premier League campaign kicked off G you said that it would be in no particular order by the way uh, Luton Town, Wolves and Everton who would drop into the championship I said that again in no particular order that it would be Luton Town, Sheffield United and Nottingham Forest as we sit here it remains Luton Town so we both got that one Burnley and Sheffield United in the drop zone. Gee, we know how funny the relegation battle can get in the Premier League, but halfway through the season, what can be said for what's happening at the bottom of the table? 
Yeah. So, I mean, I'm going to start with my Wolves prediction because I don't know what they put in their in their water at their training grounds or like what their coach is saying, but they've actually been like, like it's an entirely different team from last year. You know, like last year I was convinced they were going down basically until the last day. So I'm, you know, pretty surprised to see them sitting pretty comfortably in 11th. Um, I mean, even with Everton's uh, 10 point deduct uh, deduction, like they'd still be bottom half the table. Again, like one of those teams, like they sh they shouldn't be playing as well as they have been recently. Um, I thought they would just on paper, like they look really bad. I thought they'd be a lot worse. So I'm, you know, kind of shocked to see them out of there. And Luton not sitting rock bottom in the Premier League is probably the biggest shock for me. I I don't want to say I thought they were going to have a worse season than that Derby team in like oh four oh five, I think it was. Yeah. But like. I thought they were going to give them a, a a run for their money. I'm super surprised that they have gotten like the results that they have, even if they're still in the drop zone. Um, I've been disappointed with Burnley. I thought they would, you know, turn it around after a couple of games. I thought, you know, the way Vincent Company's been coaching them, I thought would translate a little better to the Prem, but um, it just hasn't. And Sheffield have just been have been, been a mess. That's kind of the only way to put it. Um, I just I don't see a way back for them. Yeah, I agree, and. Uh, it in terms of what I said, you know, I put Nottingham Forest at the beginning of the season in there. <clears throat> I almost, I'm almost a little bit ashamed that I did, but now that they've done the managerial change, I do have to give credit where credit's due. They're on that new manager bounce. So they've gotten a couple of decent results as of late. I watched the Manchester United game in full when they beat them 2-1 late. That was a great result for them. You can tell that Nottingham Forest is doing a lot of things differently under Nuno Espirito Santo, but I actually think now probably if this sort of run continues, they'll probably survive. I'm still going to say that Luton's going to go down as much as I've loved watching them play this season. Uh, Sheffield United, I think they're still going to go down, but I think maybe if it's not going to be Burnley, which I hope it's not, um, we're going to maybe see somebody sort of slip and slip and slip and slip, and it might be somebody that we may not even expect. Maybe... You know, I don't think it'll be Crystal Palace, but maybe a team like that um, or maybe a Bournemouth or something like that. So we'll see what happens there. But right now it's uh, it's pretty tight at the bottom and we'll definitely keep tabs on it as time goes along. Serie A and Italy has kept us intrigued in a few different ways. In our predictions, Gaetano, you said that it would be AC Milan who would win it this year. Then I said that it would be Inter Milan who would win it. Only halfway through, but it is Inter Milan at the top. Juventus is narrowly in second. AC Milan is in third, and now Fiorentina is in fourth. So they kind of traded spots there with Bologna. Gee, it, it does sort of look like Inter and Juventus will be battling it out come the end of the season. But as we know in football, anything can change and anything can happen very quickly. So being at the, the halfway point in the season, what can we say about Italy's top flight? Yeah, uh, unfortunately, it looks like it's going to be a bit of a two-horse race here. I, As much as I liked AC Milan's squad uh, this summer and going into the season, I just they haven't really shown it, um, you know, their full potential yet this uh, this season. And I think at this point, you know, the way Inter and Juve are rolling, I just think it's a little too late for them. Um, but if we're getting a two-horse race of Inter and Juve, that's going to be electric. So can't argue with that. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And as uh, I mean, last year we saw the the sort of runaway with just Napoli being at the top. If you're not going to have a, a runaway, it's best if you have at least two teams competing because you want to see some sort of title challenge there. So let's see what happens. Uh and, and I do hope not for my prediction's sake, but just because of the Super League stuff with Juventus and all that, I, I hope that it's going to be Inter if, uh, if anybody is going to win it. In Spain's La Liga, Real Madrid and Girona are top with 
48 points each. Unbelievable. What a race that we have there. Atletico and Barcelona are joint second with 38 points each. Gee, we both said in our preseason predictions that Real Madrid would win it. We, we both agreed on that. But what a race that we have here uh, from one of the most unlikely sides in Girona. What can you speak to here, my friend? I mean, like, that's the thing. Like, you, you expect Madrid, you know, Madrid being in a title race is not, um, you know, uncommon. It's pretty, like, pretty box standard stuff. But the fact that it's, you know, it's not Atletico, it's not Barca, it's not even, like, Bilbao or Sevilla or, like, it's Girona. Like, that's, <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Um, like, you know, and again, like the first couple weeks of the season, you're like, okay, you know, they maybe had some easy fixtures, you know, good little run of form, get some, get some points in early. And, but now like we're halfway through the season and we're talking about them, you know, bolstering their squad for a title challenge. Like that's, it's just insane. Um, but that whole, that unit is just phenomenal. Uh, ridiculous game today. I don't know if you caught the highlights of it beating Atletico, I think it was four, three. Yeah. Like just. Like they are dismantling and beating like the biggest and best in Spain. Um, I can't wait to see them do it on the European stage. I don't, I don't see them, you know, knock on wood, dropping out of uh, European spots. So like, I cannot wait for next year to see that. It's going to be incredible. Absolutely incredible. And what you have to say to it, and credit to Real Madrid as well. You know, to be both forty-eight points each at the halfway point, you're looking at. Uh, that battle that year, um, what was it, 90, 98 to 97 points in the Premier League with City yeah. or 99, 98 or something. Like, that. that's sort of how close, if things stay on track, that's how it's going to look like. And, and to me, that's absolutely unbelievable. Two great sides, and uh, you know at this point it's a two-horse race, but I'm pulling for Hirona. I think it's going to be uh, unbelievable if they can continue this, uh, you know, in the second half of the season and uh, keep my fingers crossed for them because what a story that would be out there in La Liga. In Germany, it is the Bundesliga that gives us yet another fun topic to discuss. We both predicted that Bayern would win it this year and do so with relative ease, we both said. That being said, it doesn't really seem to be the case at this moment in time, although things, as we know, can change quickly in football. It's Leverkusen at the top, with Bayern in second, Stuttgart in third, and Leipzig in fourth. Gene, there's still half of a season left to play, but do we foresee any changes happening here to possibly make our prediction of Bayern uh, winning yet another title be correct? Uh, this is a tough one because Leverkusen are playing so, so well under Xabi Alonso. Like, it's just, the I would say, probably the best side in Europe at this point in terms of, like, uh, quality of their play. Like, their style is just phenomenal. And obviously, they're getting the results uh, to back it. It's like it's tough to to bet against that, but it's also tough to bet against Bayern Munich because they just win the Bundesliga. That's what they do. So like it's really tough. I think this is going to be another one that goes right down to the final game of the season, like last year, um, and hopefully gets more fireworks like last year. I totally agree. And like we talked about last show, I really can see if I had to, if you were to ask me, okay, you know what, with Scarps, what do you think is going to happen three months down the road? I could see Bayern Munich putting all of those eggs, like I said, in that proverbial Champions League basket and say, you know what, this for us this year, this is our most important target. We're okay to come second in the in the Bundesliga. Heck, you know what, Stuttgart could even jump, jump us and we'll be okay to go third. Do I think that's going to happen? No, I'm still going to put all my faith into Bayern, but Leverkusen, what a season they're having under Alonso, uh, as you said, some of the football that they're playing. Absolutely outstanding. So another good title race there out in Germany. And we're going to wrap it up here with uh, Europe's Big Five by talking about Ligue 1 in France. And this is a place where we both agreed 
that PSG would likely win it so long as they kept hold of their top guys, which in large part they have. They are in first place at the halfway point, holding a five-point lead. So again, not running away with it, but they are starting to create a little bit of a gap. Nice are in second, Monaco in third, and Brest in fourth. G, how likely are we to see things stay as they are in France's top division? Uh, I think PSG will probably stay at the top of the table for the rest of the season. I can't really see that changing. They've they're starting to click into place. Uh, four wins in their last five. The fifth game being a draw. Like they're starting to get the ball rolling. Um, I don't see them like losing that five point gap uh, anytime soon. I think the gap is going to get maybe smaller, but I don't think they'll ever not be top of the league. If that makes sense. It, it does make sense, yeah. and uh, you know, we kind of saw them ju- jump up and down and up and down. I think they are going to stay stable. They might drop a game here and there because that's going to happen in a, in a title run. It typically doesn't happen where a team can rally off basically 16, 17, 18 wins in a row. It just typically doesn't happen. It can, but um, unless you're Manchester City, it doesn't really happen. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, rallying off 15 wins in a row like it's nothing. But um, yeah, I think that PSG are also going to keep hold of that there. And if you had to probably pick one of the title races that you had to pick an out-and-out winner at this moment in time, you'd probably say PSG in league. Uh, so Europe's Big Five certainly uh, has entertained us during the, the front half of the season. And as we know, things will only get more and more fun as time moves along in the back half of the season. And as always, we will keep you all up to speed with all of the happenings in Europe's top divisions right here on Full Time. And to round things out, domestic cup competitions across England are getting into the thick of it. Catano, upcoming, we have got some big and fun contests starting in the FA Cup this upcoming weekend. There are 64 teams remaining in the competition, including all of the Premier League teams, of course. Are you looking forward to the FA Cup, G? Love the FA Cup. Uh, one of my, like, favorite trophies, which is, like, a weird one to have, you know, considering, like, City have always gone for the Premier League, the Champions League, but, like, the FA Cup, it's just, like, it's, I think, England's oldest cup competition. It's just, it's the biggest in terms of like, the, the amount of teams. Like, we're, what, round five, I think, right now? Yes. So, yeah. we're going, uh, the, like, well, the, the way that they, they, they phrase it is interesting. The final 64 teams, they compete in what's called the third round proper. Um, yeah. So it, it, I think it's technically the fifth round of play, but it's, it's almost done in, like, a reverse order type thing. But regardless, yeah, 64 teams left. Yeah, and the fact that like now we get the introduction of the Premier League teams into it um, is just, yeah, it's about to pick up and it's going to be great. Yeah, it really is. And and for you, Gatano, is there a favorite FA Cup moment that sits in your memory seeing as this competition, as you just mentioned, it's the oldest and most historic in all of British football? So there was one for a very long time, um, and that was Yaya Toure scoring against United in the semifinal, actually, at Wembley, uh, as City beat them 1-0 and went on to win Uh, our first trophy in 35 years and kind of that was the beginning of you know kind of what we know Manchester City as now is these you know you know just trophy winning teams but yeah it was uh you know United City at Wembley uh you know probably the biggest game to that point in in the history of Manchester City and yeah that goal was just you know it was it was the 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 turning of the tide like Manchester started to you know turn a shade of blue after that Yep. Um, and then Ilkay Gundogan uh, last June, that, that volley 12 seconds in, like that was like, the, the stage doesn't get bigger. It's United, it's Wembley, it's the FA Cup final. He's our captain and he just volleys on the top corner in 12 seconds. Like every time I've seen that on Twitter since that game has happened, I've, I've always said to myself, I, I will always have 12 seconds to watch that goal every time, every time. 
And you know what? We talked about it on our show this past summer that I was in Petoskey at the time of the FA Cup final. So we were actually, my team was playing in a soccer tournament, which we go to every year. And, uh, you know, we're getting in the group and saying, okay, you know, uh, let's all get into one of the guys' rooms, watch the game. So I'm walking down the little hallway to get to the guy's room and a bunch of us walk in like it's one nil it's one nil <laughs> okay yeah shut up you just you're being idiots be quiet like no look it's one nil okay gun to one score with just 11 12 seconds into the game i'm like are you kidding me so i actually missed the goal but it, it's just so historic it, it truly is unbelievable and um you know city were fantastic last year in that regard um for me i would say you know because arsenal has been so good in this competition historically i believe it's 14 titles that we've we've yeah. won a cup i can go back to final after final when they played hall i remember alexis sanchez was just so good that game um but the one that i'm actually going to go to and it's and it's a bit of a weird one uh 2020 when there was no fans uh mikel arteta had just gotten the job a few months prior uh still had a bombing we, we had a very tough run uh, in the lead up to that final, we actually played against City and then we ended up playing Chelsea in the final. And uh, I was actually going through a pretty difficult time myself at, at that point in time because I just lost my grandfather. And, uh, you know, about a week later, um, Arsenal ended up winning the FA Cup and that kind of, you know, it really made me feel good. And uh, the performance that Aubameyang put on and uh, to win that sort of first trophy in the, in the lockdown was just unbelievable so that's kind of one that sits in my memory but Arsenal have been really good in the competition so I'm really looking forward to they have a very tough test as well by the way they have to play Liverpool uh, <laughs> it is at home and and we'll see what happens, but it's a tough first test to go so I'm hoping that Arsenal will actually go strong and not play too many youth players to be honest because I want to see them get through a reminder that the FA Cup uh for all 64 teams that are in the competition who, again, are competing in the third round proper, uh, those, those games will go this weekend on your local television sports network, wherever you are, Canada or America or other. Uh, these are the uh, one-off knockout games to see who will advance to the fourth round proper, uh, consisting of the last 32 teams in the competition. And another domestic comp, uh, cup competition is what we discussed in our last show, and that is the Carabao Cup. Some pretty decent incentives and implications are on the line for the four remaining teams trying to claim a domestic trophy in February. The semifinal matchups, once again, are Middlesbrough, who will take on Chelsea, and it will be Liverpool, who will take on Fulham. Catano, can we expect these games to excite us in the upcoming weeks? Oh, they should be absolute limbs. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't mean disrespectful. Like, you have a couple smaller teams in these semifinals, like, I think that the, the the players will understand the occasion. The fans will definitely understand the occasion. And I think you're going to see, you know, like 10 out of 10 performances from those teams, whether it'll be enough to get them through to the final. That's another story. But I think the the actual game itself, games themselves, I should say, uh, should be phenomenal. Yeah. And uh, to your point right there, these games, again, they are played over two legs. So I would, I'm going, and we we predict this last show that Chelsea and Liverpool will go through. If these are one-off knuckle games, as we talked about too, I would say just because to your point, it's so spot on that these these two sides and the likes of uh, Middlesbrough and Fulham, they're going to give everything. And you know, I just saw Fulham play Arsenal a couple of days ago, and, and Arsenal worst performance of the season by far. But you have to give credit to Fulham because you can tell them they're ready to go. They want to make something of their season. So these two uh, these two games, which again are played over two legs. Um, I think they're going to be phenomenal. So really looking forward to them. And the first of those games will go January the 9th. So in about six days time, uh, probably about four or five days by the time that this gets released. And the second leg will finish up on January 24th. So we will get you all sorted with the results of those semifinals in our next episode of Full Time.
This is Daniel Scarpino and Gaetano Gallo, and you're listening to Full Time on the Game Sports Podcast. A reminder that Full Time is sponsored by Little Caesars Pizza. You can download and access the Pizza Portal app for any of the two locations in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. Have a delicious hot and ready pizza from Little Caesars today. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Full Time. As we wrap up to today's show and our first show of the new year, incidentally, we want to thank you for spending some time with us talking about the beautiful game. Gee, it's a great way to kick off the new year and uh, not just for today, but always thank you very much, my friend. I know. And always thank you for having me. Like, yeah, this is uh, if this is the milestone for starting the year is, you know, this is the marker is this episode. Then, like, I think we've set the bar pretty damn high. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. But I'd rather have a high standard because then if you even fall a little bit short, you're still doing really, really well. And I always, exactly. pre- I always preach that message to my players, my students, and uh, even the guys that I play with. So, uh, yeah, I agree with you. We set the bar high and let's keep this thing rolling. A reminder to our listeners that the next episode of Full Time will be recorded the week of January 22nd, 2024. In that show, we will talk the January transfer window, Europe's Big Five, the results of the Carabao Cup semifinals and a little bit more on the FA Cup. As always, we will keep everyone in the loop with all of the happenings in the world of football. For weekly content, make sure to hit like, follow, and subscribe to all platforms of both the Game Sports Podcast and 91N on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Podbean. For Gaetano Gallo, my name is Daniel Scarpino, and thank you for tuning in to Full Time. We look forward to seeing you at kickoff next time back here on the Game Sports Podcast and 91N. Best always.